0: Good morning everybody. Good afternoon. Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's Tuesday, February 15th, <laughs> the happy day after afternoon. Valentine's Day, so happy, happy, afternoon. happy
1: afternoon. Hope everybody had a nice Valentine's Day.
0: Did you have a nice Valentine's Day, too? I did. You know what Patty wanted to do? She wanted to go out for a burger. At Kenny's. So we went to Kenny's. Yes. It's a good burger place. For a burger. Oh, it is. Except,
1: except I have. Except the patty what, kind of, melt. what kind of burger did you get? I always get the patty melt. I love the patty melt. I love the really... patty
0: melt too. Aww. Uh, yeah. No, I could, I just got a burger, but yeah, they have good burgers there. So, what's up? You uh, hey, you need to show him Rudy.
1: Rudy. You show. You
0: show him. He's not gonna come. <laughs> <We> <laughs> he, have Rudy he knows here. the tricks. Come on, Rudy. He makes you walk.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's he's kind of an old guy, so he's really learned the ropes. Adorable,
1: though. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so okay. this is Little Roots.
0: There, you know, if you were on yesterday or a few, a couple months ago when I was trying to manage Rudy during class, you've you met him. There he yeah. is. He's old, but he's ready.
1: He's so sweet. He's Robbie and Savannah's dog, and he's about 14.
0: Yeah. So yeah. he's
1: old, but he's so sweet. He's always sweet and just adorable. He just doesn't like to be left alone. Nope, and he so. likes to sleep. He loves to sleep in front of a heater. I love to sleep in front of a heater. So do I. Oh,
0: my goodness. So, anyway, that's Rudy. He's here today for class. Glad you all are here for today for class. We are, we are back in John. John uh, uh, 14 today. So, that's what we're going to do.
1: Sounds good. Does it sound good? Yeah. Okay. Sounds good.
0: Yeah, we're in this long... Like I I often say, if you have a red-letter Bible... Right now, it's all red, because Jesus is just talking and talking and talking on the eve of his crucifixion. So, I see more people are checking in. Hello, everybody.
1: Hello, everybody. And, of course, what do you always say?
0: What do I say?
1: Always say. Of course, I have been to... I should be... (laughs) I should be able to teach all the stuff that Scott does. I've been in you know, every you, Bible study for the last twenty years. You know, on
0: Broadway, you people have stand-ins who can are immediately yes. ready to go and write with yes. the person. See that—that's you now. I
1: would have to pick the book, though. We'd have to might completely change what we're doing, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. It's good. What were you going to
0: say? I, I don't now even that I...
1: remember. You completely confused me. <laughs> I got all of a sudden thinking you were going to say, Patty, go. And I was going to croak.
0: <laughs> all righty. Well, if it comes to mind, just just holler, just jump in. Okay. Okay? Okay. So let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here on this lovely Tuesday. We can feel, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not gonna jinx it. I don't know. Is jinxing even a thing? But we're just gonna we're grateful for this being a nice Tuesday, a warm Tuesday, and we are grateful for the gift of your Holy Spirit, whom we will be talking about today. And we just ask, as we do every week, that you will fill us with energy and enthusiasm and open up these pages for us so we can we can we can grasp them at a deeper level so that we can come to know Christ better and better and better. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Hey, you know, Facebook showed me this morning my, a memory from last year. Yes. Yep. It was the big snowstorm. It was. We had about five inches of, of snow out there. On Everything was covered.
0: I had to go back and find some old YouTube Sunday videos. Yeah. And yeah, I found the ones bracketing the snowstorm.
1: It was... It on the was Sunday
0: something. before, we knew it was going to be kind of a t- different sort of week. But nobody really knew no, what it was going to be. Didn't.
1: And that's when we had the great Ingle slash Jennison sleepover. Yes. Yeah. The great
0: camp-in. <laughs> <laughs> we never lost power. Everybody came to our house because they all did. So i don't know what a world what a week so we are grateful that all of you are with us today and we are in john 14. so john 14 is this part of this really this long block of of jesus's teaching and words to his disciples a little bit like you know they're not really equivalent but you know matthew has the Sermon on the Mount. That is all of chapters 5, 6, and 7. Well, John sort of does the same thing. And there's this long block of Jesus' teachings and words to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. And they are words of challenge, and they are words of comfort, and he is preparing them um, for the day which they had thought would be a long time away, but which is actually upon them when he won't be with them as he had been. And the world would hate them as the world hated him, hates Jesus. So, in any event, all this stuff, in this long discourse, this long talk, Jesus with his disciples, and it is just his disciples. So these aren't crowds or anything. This is, you know, if you've ever seen the movie, The Gospel of John, um, which is the entire? What is it? Good News Translation um, is all. Every word spoken is the Good News Translation from beginning to end. Nothing added. Nothing left out. And in that, when you get to this section, Jesus is at dinner with his disciples, and then he's walking with them on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is which would probably be a decent walk from. Um, the place where they shared this meal. So where we left it last week, we left it, I we leaked over a little bit into verses fifteen and sixteen and seventeen. But let's start at John chapter fourteen verse fifteen. Okay? So we're gonna start at John chapter fourteen, verse fifteen. So If you love me, keep my commands, and we're gonna soon hear the one command that comes from the john from John's gospel. John's Gospel is not filled with lots of things like that. There's basically one commandment in John's gospel um and and we 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 will soon be there. so he says, "If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever." the spirit of truth and that should be a capital s there i think it is in all the translations that i know about should be because he is speaking of whom the holy spirit the holy spirit which we'll we'll talk more about in just a little bit but he he will give you another advocate somebody to be on your side that's what an advocate is right yes somebody to be on your side an advocate to help you and be with you forever the Spirit of Truth." Now, the world cannot accept Him, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Now, if you know your, um, you know, where Paul goes with this, being for Paul, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, it, the Holy Spirit dwells in the body of Christ. Um, the world does not The world at large does not know the Holy Spirit because for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, you must come to faith in Christ. Of course, because there is one God, one triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're not parts of God. You can't embrace one part and two parts and reject one part. And it's not not like that. There's one God, one, 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So if you don't know the Son, you're not gonna know the Spirit. That makes sense, right? Yes. And he says, he says, but you do know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. Now, this that kind of statement, I will come to you in the next verse or two, really, you have to stop and think, what is he referring to? Okay, so he is he is certainly referring to the resurrection right because on friday when he's crucified they think it's all going to be over so he's certainly talking about well there is this, there is this something big coming after the crucifixion but but yes you can't hear it and not also think about his second coming the parousia his return and so i i think that that's really But the immediate reference here is to his resurrection. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore because he will be dead, dead, and dead. But you will see me. And most of the world will reject the resurrection of Jesus. Um, Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to 500 um, men and women. Um, He says that about... 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, maybe 23 years. But that leaves everybody else. So, no, most of the world is not going to accept the Christian claim of resurrection as they go out and they spread the news. The Jews don't, by and large. The Gentiles don't, by and large. It will take time for... God to work in the world, and for the word to spread, and people to see in the Christians the fruit of of the Holy Spirit in them. So he says, 19, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live, okay? So yes, he's going to die on the cross, but he lives. He passes through death to a life after death and as N.T. Wright puts it so well, a life after, life after death. The resurrected life. And the same thing will be true for us. This is something Paul makes clear. I talk about it all of the time. um, That what was true of Jesus' resurrection will be true for each one of us us and we affirm it every Sunday when we say the Apostles Creed and we get to the last just about to the end when we say we believe in the resurrection of the body that is the affirmation that God will do for each of us what God did for Jesus um, there's a theologian named Beth Felker Jones she, she, she's on Twitter a good bit um, God has, she has a great book called Practicing Doctrine um, that Lauren introduced me to, that they use down at SMU, Perkins Seminary. So Bell Frecker-Jones put this thing up on Twitter like, okay, if you had 30 minutes to stand in front of groups, what would you talk about? For her, the number one thing was the resurrection of the body. Because, which might be at the top of my list, because that is the biggest piece of Christian theology that vast numbers of people are ignorant about. Right? So they, they they don't really grasp the concreteness of what Jesus is talking about here. Because I live, Jesus says in verse nineteen, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And he, he's gonna expand on this a little bit, this 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 deep belonging we have with one another, with God, with Christ, this deep bond that we have in and through Jesus. So verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. You know, it's easy to say, I love you, I love We just had Valentine's Day. Don't you wonder, Patty, sometimes if you looked across the span of America, how many times the words Happy Valentine's or I love you were actually empty?
1: A lot, yeah. A lot, sadly.
0: Sadly. Sadly. Decades and decades ago, I could kind of, yeah, well, I won't get into all that, but yeah. So, whoever has my commanding keeps them. Love, love in the New Testament love for Christians is the doing. It's the doing. It's not the feeling. It's not the sentiment. It's the doing. So, Jesus is clear with Paul. You know, there are there are a lot of people who try to drive a wedge between Jesus' messages and ministry and life and Paul's theology and they are misguided They are misguided. No. Jesus and Paul are locked together here. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, Jesus says, is the one who loves me. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I know y'all are sick of me saying that, but it just keeps popping into my mind because it's so, so perfect. Yes, whoever has my command and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Ugh. Oh. Sorry. I didn't turn my phone off today. That's so I'm going to let Jimmy Decker just leave me a message there, and I'm going <laughs> to open my phone up. I'm supposed to have some kind of meeting with him today. Hey, you want to my... give me your
1: phone? I'll text him back for you.
0: Nah, it's okay. okay. It's all right. He, he is the in charge of adult ministries, so he should know I'm in class right now. Oh. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. Those young people, they make, they have a lot of memory problems. Oh. <laughs> so at the end of verse 21, the one who loves me will be loved Not by true. my father. <laughs> I know, I'm cracking you up over there, huh? The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And it is the Again, this deep belongingness that Jesus is going to expand upon here in just a bit. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, is just a disciple named Judas. Who is it? Not mentioned again in John's Gospel. um, Various suggestions about who he is, who John is talking about. Some say it's actually some sort of name attached to Thomas. I don't know. Nobody really knows. All we can know is it's not Judas Iscariot. But he's one of Jesus's, you know, inner circle. Some people say. Anyway, I. There's just there's just no point speculating because there's just not enough to go on in any of the gospels to know.
1: But then this is another Judas on the night before Jesus is crucified.
0: Because it the 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 way it worked in their world, there just weren't that many names. People didn't, people didn't need lots of names. Everybody grew up, basically stayed in and around their village, so names like Judas, which is Jude, right, or um, uh, Yeshua, which is Jesus, these, these are common names. There were lots of people in the playgrounds named these things Mary, for the, for the women have the same thing. That's why there's so many Marys in your New Testament, um, because there's just just lots of Marys. Miriam is what the name was, but yeah, it's just they just didn't need lots of names. So consequently, they didn't they didn't have them. So this Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, "But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us?" and not to the world." And kind of a good question, right? So Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So he takes, takes the disciples back to the previous point. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So, what's Jesus' point here? His ministry has been going on for nearly three years. we had doing a sermon series right now, right, called Three Short Years. Jesus' teachings are clear enough. The world has heard them. The world here is really Jesus' world, right? This is the world of the Jewish leadership and all that stuff. They've all heard him. The Pharisees have heard him. The scribes have heard him. The priests have heard him. They know. They don't like what they hear. They're confused. Nicodemus comes to see Jesus way early in the gospel. He doesn't grasp what's going on. But it isn't like they haven't heard. They can't really plead ignorance. Ignorance. Or say to Jesus, well, gosh, I wish you had told us these things. No, that's not how it is. If they're going to love Jesus, they're going to take those words to heart. And they're going to live them. And they are going to obey them. And they will thus love Jesus in that obedience. Any, verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You can't claim to love Jesus and ignore his teachings, ignore where he um, led us in terms of the lives we are to lead. And, and okay? Is that kind of helpful there, Patty? Yes. Okay. Um, Verse 25. Now he says, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you. Right? He hasn't gone yet. But it's about, and I'm just sure that the disciples don't really grasp what is about to fall in on them. Right? All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So let's take this moment to talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. And veterans of my classes could do could 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 do teach this next slide, but um, I know we have people who are new on here. So so let's. Let's just talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like Jesus, like the Father, the Holy Spirit is fully and completely God, but not all of God. But they are not parts of God. They share one, one, one nature, one substance. They share a will and a purpose. The Holy Spirit is the, is thus a, a holy who? Not a what? Not electricity. Not like the Force in Star Wars. Not gravity. No, not a nice inner spirit you would have when you feel wonderful in the world. And No, the Holy Spirit is a person. It gets, look at the, we'll work down the slide. It gets confusing Because the images in the Bible for the Spirit are things like dove, and wind, and fire, and water, and... Well, those aren't very helpful, because those are all what's. I've often said it would be very helpful if the Holy Spirit had a name. Like, I don't know. Like what? Like Sharon or Fred. (coughs) Because it's personal. Personal. That's, that's what we have to grasp, is that the Holy Spirit is personal, a person. Um, one little bit I love from Paul is that he calls the Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Well, of course, because we worship one God. And we can't neatly sum up and tie together and explain all the inner mysteries of the triune God. But another name for the Holy Spirit is certainly the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of the Father or the Holy Spirit or the Comforter or the Advocate or the Counselor or the Spirit of Truth or the Spirit. The Spirit is the personal presence of God. Old Testament as well as New. I'm asked that question a lot. So, why don't we, I want to show you a place in the Old Testament because, I mean, I, sure, we can see the presence of God at, um, at Mount Sinai, in the pillar of fire, um, in in the burning bush, right? But there's this wonderful little passage from Isaiah, uh, chapter 63, verse 9. Why don't we just go there? Isaiah 63, verse There's a lot of chapters in Isaiah.
1: There
0: is <laughs> Isaiah chapter sixty-three, verse nine. Okay. Isaiah 63, verse 9. So I'm just going to read through it. You'll see why I brought you here. In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. This is God and his people. In the distress of God's people, God too was distressed. And the angel of his presence, God's presence is the Spirit. Right, so this could be translated: The angel of His Spirit saved them, in His love and mercy He redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them away all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. So He turned and became their enemy, and He fought Him, and He Himself fought against him, Them. Then, as people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and His people. Where is he who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of the flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them? Who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand, to be with Moses, to be present with Moses. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Who divided the waters before them to gain from himself everlasting renown? Who led them through the depths? Like a horse in open country, they did not stumble. And like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest. By whom? By the Spirit of Yahweh. Now, our Jewish friends are not going to see in these verses the same things we see, because they don't see in Jesus the the, the things we see. But nonetheless, nonetheless, the truth of it is that the Spirit has always been, is now, and always shall be, as Jesus has always been, is now, and always shall be, as God has always been, is now, and always shall be. This is why Everything Christian, underlying it, is Trinitarian. It is it is the great revelation about the nature of God that, that Jesus brings us. So, I'll look at this next to last bullet point. This comes from the book of Acts. Because the Holy Spirit is the prime mover of so much action in the book of Acts. So, look at all of these verbs. These are verbs attached to persons, not objects, not chairs and tables, or electricity. In the Bible, the Spirit searches, knows, teaches, dwells, accomplishes, gives life, cries out, bears witness, has desires, is grieved, helps, intercedes, works all things together, strengthens, and is lied to. Right? The Holy Spirit is never called an it in Scripture because the Spirit is a who. And we have to train ourselves to refer to the Holy Spirit as a who, not a what, not an it. And it's not easy. It isn't easy to do that. So, you know, we have to have grace on all of us who make that mistake because it's just something that that's pretty hard to overcome but intellectually we can grasp this and we can get better at it and so back to John chapter 14 he is just this little section we're in is this promise that god will send his holy spirit to these disciples and indeed, the fulfillment of that promise lies not that far ahead, in John's Gospel or in the Book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit, and and Paul develops that theology, and and grasp that the Holy Spirit dwells in each individual believer, and as the Holy Spirit had once dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit dwells in the body of Christ, the church. I have a huge volume. I won't try to find it. It's above my head up here. Here we go. I'm going to find it. It's right there. This huge volume. <laughs> oh man, oh man. This this will really keep you up at night. This is the, the title of it is just the best. This is by Gordon Fee. He's a very old... I don't know why I said that. Yeah, he is. I, th- I think he's still with us. He Great. is.
1: We looked it up a couple weeks ago. Okay, Well, I hope it's still true. Yes. So Gordon
0: Fee wrote this book, God's Empowering Presence, The Holy Spirit in the Letters of Paul. And he just works through every single passage in Paul in which the Holy Spirit plays a part. But referring, you'll you'll hear me refer to the Holy Spirit quite often as God's empowering presence because that is the biblical way to think about this. So, So when, let's say you're in a hospital room and you're praying for God's comfort for yourself or for the person that you're there sitting with and you feel the peace of God sweep over you, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence with us. And I, I think part of being Christian is having a really full awareness of, of that and, and sort of living into that and, and embracing that. So, anyway, so that's what's been happening in this section in John. So go back to John chapter 14, verse 25. Jesus says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid.
1: You know, it's interesting, chapter 14 starts out the same way that verse 25 ends. He starts with, do not let your hearts be troubled. Then he goes on to explain a whole bunch of things, you know. Just kind of building on that, right? And that the Holy Spirit will be with them and to kind of remind them again, this is the reason why you shouldn't be troubled.
0: Right, because he says he's leaving these people that he's walked among for three years. We, we haven't experienced that. None of, none of us have spent three years walking with Jesus across the hills and plains of Galilee and, and Judea. But we need to open our hearts to accept the peace that God wants for us. And I, I think we do so many things in our lives that obstruct that that, that, that turn away from that peace, that grace of God, that mercy of God. And um, we end up filled with anxieties and worries, and troubled hearts that Jesus simply doesn't wish for us. He loves us. I love Patty. I don't want Patty's heart to ever be troubled and anxious and worried. I I know that you can you're gonna say to me, and it's true, I mean gonna you know, you can't pretty hard to go through life and not be troubled about things, but we need to seek that peace that Jesus is talking about here. Cause he doesn't give that peace as the world gives it, right? The, in the world, it's it's always here today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> but, not with Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Cause they're gonna be they're gonna be tested here, very shortly, right? So, verse twenty-eight. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Well, let me tell you, that one little phrase, the Father is greater than I, has spun off all kinds of complex Christian theological ponderings, which I personally think Jesus would shake his head at and say, oh, people, this, don't let this one phrase trouble your heart so much. <laughs> what could Jesus be saying here? What he has said earlier, that he has been sent by the Father. The Father is the sender With the, of this mission, this vocation. Jesus is the one accomplishing the vocation he will be the one actually going to the cross right so 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 the father is the sender jesus is the one doing the work and in every aspect of our lives the sender has some authority right um, over the agent over the over the doer and i wouldn't make any more of this than that there's been a lot written and a lot of theological speculations Lauren could share so much with you about the subordination of the Son and to the Father and all that stuff. And I'm, I, my view was we just have to be careful with, with all of that. Because it's just so easy to end up seeing Jesus as someone less than God. Or we end up seeing the Father as fully synonymous with God. God is the Father, the Father is God, the Father is all of God. Not, you know, not true. The Father is fully God, yes, but He's not all of God. The Son is fully God, yes, but not all of God. So there are just lots of ways that we can begin to diminish the great Christian orthodoxy about the Trinity and when we do that, we weaken the faith. We weaken the church, um, and it's why every generation has to recommit themselves to to carrying on the great orthodoxy that we received from the church. Sure, bringing in our culture, our language, our time, being willing to test it and all that kind of stuff, but we are receivers. We are receivers of the faith, and we have to be ready to defend that faith and pass it on to the next generation. I don't know, that's just, maybe I'm simple, but, but that's how I see it. So, verse 29, I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen,s you will trust me. You will believe. Now, that, use that word trust there instead of the word believe. I am going away. It will be okay. Trust me, trust me, trust me is what Jesus is saying. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. Who do you think the prince of this world is? The devil. Exactly. These cosmic forces, as Arthur put it in a sermon on Sunday, the traditional Methodist formulation is the spiritual forces of wickedness. The prince of this world is coming, the one pulling the strings of Caesar and Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas, even Caiaphas, is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Which is this whole weird, ironic twist. Which we'll, I think we talked about last week. Maybe. In here, the irony of Judas' betrayal, the irony of the devil prompting Judas to betray Jesus, is that it works out to, the, to Satan's ruination. Because the very thing that will flow from the betrayal, which is the cross, is the very place where God's victory over sin and death is won. Because Jesus will be faithful all the way to death, even death on a cross. And in the deep mystery of the cross, God and his people are reconciled. use different formulations, different ways to talk about this. Jesus takes upon, them, takes upon himself the sins of the world. Jesus is the one Jew who will actually keep the law of Moses, thus enabling all the blessings laid out in the law of Moses to come to fruition. All the promises in Isaiah and elsewhere to come to fruition. So, yeah. So, it, it's it's I guess there's irony. Isn't that the right word? In verse 31, He comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. Satan's own work is going to rebound to Satan's ruin. Because if this is a great line from somebody, maybe Richard Hayes, if you want to know what, le- for Paul, this is in the letters of Paul, because Paul is the one who has to actually take this stuff and try to work it out in the context of the world and the Gentiles and the church and all this stuff. So he's working out the implications of what of what happens in, in and through Jesus, the crucifixion and the resurrection and the rest. So, so Hayes says, you know, There are a lot of places Paul also doesn't talk about love. And the reason Paul doesn't talk about love in those places is because for him and for other New Testament writers, if you want to know what love is, simply look to the cross. The the cross glorifies God because it shows the world how much God loves this world. God loves this world. God loves you and me. You and me, whoever's on this right now, God loves us, you and me, so much that God gave his only Son that whoever trusts him, believes in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. Right? So, So, then Jesus says, Come now, let us leave. It's time. So I always picture it now as them leaving the, the the room where they have been sharing this meal, and now they're going to begin the walk to the Garden of of Gethsemane. So, anything over there, Patty? Anything online? No. Anything nothing. at all?
1: No. Um, you know, I'm guessing that Jesus says this before they leave, so they they understand somewhat why he has to follow through with this that this is his vocation it's this is it
0: right and that's what they sadly what it, what it, remember in what did what did Jesus tell Peter three times yes you're going to deny me before say. the cock crows because yeah. what it takes to really understand this What Jesus is talking about is a conception on the part of these Jewish men that the Messiah could end up dead on a Roman cross. And that is just something they can't get to. And I am very sympathetic to them. I, maybe it's just having immersed myself in a lot of this stuff over the last number of years, it would be too much to think that they could grasp this. Yes, you could say to me, well, but don't they know about Isaiah 53 and these... what No. Isaiah 53, for the Jews of Jesus' day, was about the Jews as a nation, a people who have suffered mightily at the hands of the pagans. It's not about it's not about a crucified Messiah. So, I think Jesus knows that they're not going to get it. Of course he does, because he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He knows their hearts are going to be troubled. He knows they're going to be afraid. But he loves them. He loves them. He loves them. And... um so he is he is telling them what they need to hear, perhaps in part so that years as the years go go by, right they can remember. you remember when Jesus said this and he said this oh yes, you know now we get that so Now verse 15. I, this is the last of the seven I am statements.
1: Sorry, chapter 15.
0: Chapter 15, verse one. This is the last of the seven I am statements. Ooh, I still have that little slide with me. Why don't I use it? Okay, there we go. All the way back to chapter six, we had I am the bird of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth of the life, Jesus says. And now he says, I am the true vine, I am being the ego me, the name of God given to Moses at the burning bush. With all the theological weight that that brings, I think we should bring to this. John wants us to bring it to this. Remember the first verse of his gospel. So, John, uh, so Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine, not the fake vine or false vine. I am the true vine. So, okay, let's do this. Was it sure we would? Let's go ahead and do it. Isaiah chapter (laughs) 5. Verse 1. That's easy. Yeah, this, you, you see, this is our second trip into Isaiah just today, so you can see how influential Isaiah is in in our understanding of Christ and in how he understands his himself. So we'll just read a little ways into Isaiah chapter five. It's about a vineyard and about the gardener, the owner. I will sing for the one I love. Isaiah says, a song about his vineyard. Who is the his? It's God. I will sing a song about God's vineyard. My loved one, God, had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and he cleared it of stones and he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Well, more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it. When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? And on we go. The vineyard metaphor is found in several places, and the way it works is, that God is the vine grower, the gardener. And Israel, his people, well, they're the vineyard. And of course, in Isaiah 5, what's going on there? Well, God planted the vineyard, formed this people, um, fed them. Remember when when they fled Egypt, God gave them food and water and protection. And then he gets them to Mount Sinai and he gives them his teaching and he builds this tabernacle and it's all great and wonderful. I guess until they built the Golden Gap, right? And so the, if you the rest of the story of the Old Testament is what? A people unwilling to simply love God and love neighbor, a, unwilling to live up to the covenant that they willingly entered into. So of course the metaphor is, well, the vineyard didn't yield any good fruit, only bad fruit. not the kind of fruit you and I would want to use to make a good bottle of wine would make wine that you wouldn't want to drink. It's bad grapes instead of good grapes. So now Jesus says, I am the true vine. So if you have, you've probably heard me say this before. That a way to understand Jesus is that he is the new Israel. and that he forms around himself twelve disciples because there were twelve tribes. He is the new Israel, and he will be the Israel that truly does live according to the covenant that Israel made with God. And so, see, this is a peace that that feeds that understanding. I am the true vine. He may just be one man, but He is the true vine. He is... He is Israel. He is doing and being for Israel what they are unwilling to do and be for themselves. There's a long piece of theology in the Bible called remnant theology, that that no matter how bad things got, God would always ensure there was a remnant to carry on. And that can be used to talk about Jesus, that he is this remnant of one. Faithful in a way that none of his fellow Jews are faithful. So he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, And he does what he does he does what gardeners of vines do. He does what happens in every <laughs> vineyard out in Calo- out in Napa Valley. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Wow, what kind of fruit are we expected to bear? You get that answer all across the New Testament, don't you? When Jesus leaves, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. Paul says, Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Be kind and be gentle and be patient. Keep control of yourself and all the rest of it. There's no great mystery here. We know what it means to bear fruit. We ought to be good witnesses to Jesus in what we say and what we do. There isn't room for hypocrisy in the church. We are human, I get that, I get that, but we fall back on all that stuff too fast. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. Now why do you prune things? I am no gardener, let me tell you. But I have tried a few times in the past to keep roses. I found there were better places to keep roses than Dallas. <laughs> but, because <laughs> the summers are so hard, but you prune the roses in such a way that you get better, stronger roses. You prune the bush, so you get better, stronger roses, right? He, so, so God prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You know? No metaphor is perfect, but this one's pretty good. And then he says to them, well, you are already clayed. Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Right? They are part of this new Israel. Remain in me. Or to use an old word, which I wish they used still here in the NIV, abide in me. Now, the NRSV still uses it. Abide in me as I also abide in you. And what does that remain or abide mean? It means. Mutuality, it means reciprocity. Think of the vine, okay, with little pieces, little vines coming off and they're all woven together, right? And it's you get the big clusters hanging off and the vines are growing all the leaves and they're all interdependent. They're all interdependent and the gardener comes along and prunes off the dead stuff, so and and the weak stuff, and the stuff that doesn't belong to the vine, in order that the that that the energy that the vine has goes to the healthy vines. That makes sense, Absolutely. yes.
1: Absolutely.
0: So Jesus goes on. No branch can bear fruit by itself, right? Try cutting. Try cutting it off and see how it does. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. It must abide in the vine. That's how our life with Christ is. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. There is no, there's no hint in the New Testament of a Christianity without Christ, which sounds funny. That seems like a funny statement. Like, well, that's kind of obvious, Scott. It's not obvious. Because when we live in a time when there's an increasing number of people who think that they can just be just be fine little Christians and have nothing to do with the body of Christ, with the vine, right? With the other branches. They think they can somehow just kind of be this little branch over they all by themselves and not have anything to do with the messiness or whatever else it is of the body of Christ. And they're wrong. That's why this really wise theologian, whose name I cannot remember anymore, said there is no healthy relationship with Christ, with Jesus, without a relationship with his church, his body, that is really really sound New Testament theology. Now I know that there are people who are in circumstances where it's very difficult for them to participate in a church but that's not most of us that's not most of us and when people will say to you, well you know I love Jesus but I don't need I don't need the church. I'll just do my own thing with Jesus no that's just that's a mistake. it's just... It, it's just not the life that we are that we are called to it's you're going to find yourself starved think of the think of the branch on that tri- that thinks it doesn't need the other branches that just not just not how it works neither can you bear fruit Jesus says unless you remain in me i am the vine verse 5 i am the vine you are the branches if you remain if you abide in me and i in you you will bear much fruit Apart from me you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Okay, so what glorifies God when people see us being Christian? Loving others, caring for others, being kind and compassionate and helpful, being people of peace and mercy. That's it. It's just the same thing Paul says. You know, do what builds up the church. Do what is a good witness to others. It's what Jesus says, Later in Acts, when when he's returning to the Father in Acts 1, be my witnesses, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what glorifies God. That the world can see God through us. Can see Christ through us. It's not intimidating. It's not intimidating. We just have to be the people we were created to be and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be. And I'm telling you, people, people want this. I was reading a little article today, short one, in the Wall Street Journal, which I tend to look through every morning. And it was about a new course being taught at Harvard Business School called Happiness and Leadership, or Leadership and Happiness, taught by Arthur Brooks, who's kind of an intellectual kind of guy in America. And he's gone there to do this. And, and the article said the, the course is packed out. There's just not enough seats for everybody who wants to come. And so a lot of people try to do it virtually up there. Other people just are trying to find out where they can get the notes. It's just overwhelmingly popular. And he says that there are four key areas if you want to lead what he calls a happy life family friends meaningful work and faith he doesn't he doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean faith in jesus but that something larger than someone larger than ourselves but the first two are faith and family all about relationship right the second one is about meaningful work work is given in the garden of eden before the fall it's a terrible thing that we live in a world in which there are vast numbers of people who have, mind, have to do mind and soul-destroying work. It's, a, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest signs of the consequences of our rebellion against God. We spend so much of our lives working, and for so many people, all they want is to be able to stop. But it's not how we were really made. And of course, we were made for faith, for something, someone larger than ourselves, of course. So, you can, you can move this out of a Christian context and Jesus's words are still, are, are, they're, they're, there's a lot of truth in there. But the real power of Christ, of course, comes when we remain in Christ and Christ in us. When we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. Because then we glorify the Father, we bear much fruit, and the world sees that we are Jesus' disciples. So it's sort of like making the transition from Aristotle's virtues to the full lo- to the Christian virtues. Laid out by Paul in his letters. So, verse nine. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain, abide in my love. If you keep my command, you will remain in my love. He's a good teacher. You gotta you gotta, gotta repeat things. If you keep my command, you will remain in my love. Just like, you know, a dozen verses earlier. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus is pointing us toward the life that we all really seek. And then in verse 12, we get, finally, this command. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Wow! That love, read back where we've been, is not about sentiment. It's not about feeling. It is about what we do. Love Jesus. There's doing attached to that. As I have loved you. Jesus gave himself over to the cross for us. Love me as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's not the same formulation as when the lawyer asks Jesus, "What's the greatest commandment?" And he responds with Deuteronomy, right? "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." And Leviticus, "Love your neighbor as yourself." But it gets you pretty well to the same place, right? Right. That's the thing. It is, it is about love, and that love is about the doing. And, um, I was just reading a couple things lately. Brody. Yes, Patty. No, I'm sorry. Is is Rudy okay? Are we having a Rudy emergency? No. Okay. <laughs> People trying to make the somebody trying to make the case that in the kingdom of God, in heaven, synonyms. That we won't really experience the kind of natural love for others that we have now and I have to say I think that's completely wrong-headed that is not biblical that is it's just not of course our love for others will be taken to a new place but Jesus says so much about our love for others meaning not not merely God, but God's the ones whom God loves, right? Every person I'm called to love is a person that God loves. I'm not called to love anyone that God doesn't love. God loves a lot of people that I don't love, but it's just, it's just, I think people get, I don't know, on wrong theological paths and it takes them to unfortunate places and um, it, isn't like, it isn't like there's some limit, even in this life, to how much we can love. My heart isn't only this big, and it, you've got to take the love it can have for others, and you can divide it up into pieces, and everybody can only get their allotment, because that's like all there is. That's not my experience in life. I bet it's not yours. Our hearts expand, our hearts grow, Look at the Grinch's heart, right? So our hearts expand, our hearts grow. And so, and that's all good. It has to be good. So, yeah, sure, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. Also, in that little article I was reading this morning, um, the, this professor, this um, Arthur Brooks, was talking about there being, he differentiates in the class between real friends and what he calls deal friends with a D. Real friends and transactional friends. And he says, one quote of his, I will try to get right because I should have brought the paper back here with me and didn't, he said, there's just the unbelievable, when it comes to real friends, there is the unbelievable beauty of uselessness. That I love you, I don't need anything from you, I don't want anything from you, does not, you know, I don't need you to do something for me, I just love you. That's profound. That's profound. May we all have some friends like that. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus says, again, you are my friends if you do what I command. If you're going to embrace Jesus, you're going to embrace Jesus's way of life, his way of living. I no longer call you servants. because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you." That's a big move, isn't it? They're his friends. They're Jesus' friends. These disciples are. There's that him. What a friend we have in Jesus. We do have a friend in Jesus, you know. We have to be careful not to reduce Jesus to nothing more than our buddy. Um, But, yes, he is our friend. Verse 16. And we're going to finish up with 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. And verse 16, when he says, you did not choose me, is just reminding us that the initiative for salvation lies with God. God is the one who goes and finds the lost sheep. The sheep are lost. They don't find God. God finds them. Yes, could the sheep still run away again? Yes, they could run away again. But God finds the sheep, not the sheep don't find God. The initiative for salvation lies with God, not us, because we are lost. So Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And now I'm appointing you to do what? To bear fruit. Much fruit. And here's what that, here's the essence of what that means. To love each other. This is among the disciples. One of the things to grasp about the New Testament is that most of the time, the New Testament is talking about our life lived within the body of Christ. Now, what is the shape of that life within the body of Christ? Living with our fellow Christians, right? Um... A secondary question is how to live with the larger world because we are to be witnesses to the larger world. But that that isn't the same sense as our life together as brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. So, that about wraps it up for me today.
1: With that line, um, you did not choose me but I chose you, would that be something that Calvin would have used?
0: Sure. Sure, and it kind of you know, for us Wesleyans, the kind of little one that'll kind of kind of make you. But you see, John Wesley was smart. He said he and Calvin were only a hairbreadth apart. Wesley would not deny that the initiative lies with God. And he just disagreed with Calvin about how that, how that plays itself out. Just think of the parable of the lost sheep. It is, it is the shepherd who goes and finds the sheep. Yeah. So okay. Well, oh, Patty, everything okay with Rudy out there? It
1: was. He got up and was making a little commotion. I have to tell you, I walked outside with him, yeah. and I almost was blown down the. Throat. I was noticing
0: the flag. We have a oh we have a U.S. Goodness. flag hanging out in the back. It is quite windy out it there today. It is.
1: It's beautiful. It's lovely, but oh my. Goodness you better
0: tie that little dog down because he doesn't weigh anything.
1: Oh, he that's right. I really was holding on tight. He could just get going. Off he goes. Seriously. He's about four or five pounds at most. Of nothing. Of nothing, yeah. So um, anyway, good class, Scotty. Alrighty. Thank you. Love. We'll pick so, it right
0: up, right up there next Tuesday.
1: Yes and um just a quick little reminder for those of you again Scott will send out a message um towards the end of the week but if you are normally in the Sunday class the Sunday class will not be meeting in person this week because of the prom closet we will be online just like we were during all the early days of the pandemic the first year yeah pandemic yeah so um just for this Sunday so that we're able to still have class so hope to see you figure we know how to do it so why not yeah, I was. Actually, we usually have way less problems at home <laughs> doing the class than we, we do. We are so
0: technically adept. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Oh
1: no, no, they just have so much, you know, more complicated equipment at the church than what we yeah. have at home, and. It's a nice simple it's, it's setup. Rare. When we have problems, it's usually because of Facebook.
0: I always blame it on Facebook,
1: but, but it's the truth <laughs> because Facebook will cut out. But anyway, it's been good lately. Anyway, hope you all have a wonderful day. Uh, let's just close, close in prayer. prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this beautiful day you have sent us today. And we thank you God for this class and we thank you God for keeping this class together now for two years during the pandemic. it's It's been an amazing thing and we're just so grateful God that we can still meet this way and, and really, truly, hopefully someday soon we are gonna be meeting in person. We pray God for every person here. We pray God for them, their families, your friends people that they want to lift up in prayer today we ask your Holy Spirit God to just lift up the prayers that are on people's hearts to you we pray that you would keep us close to you God keep us healthy and safe and Lord bless us with your wisdom and your discernment to help us make good choices that we need to every day we thank you God we love you God and we lift up all these prayers in the name of your risen Son Jesus Amen. Amen. Bye, everybody. Hope you have a great day. Adios. And Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday.
0: Yeah, exactly. You got it, Patty. (laughs) Bye-bye.